time. <laughs> Hello. Last, good morning. Last time uh, we recorded, Alicia says the thing about how it doesn't matter if it's morning or afternoon because people don't listen at the same time. So <laughs> good, good time. time. I'm Savannah. And I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. Good time. Good time. <laughs> hope everyone's having a good time. I hope whatever time it is, it's a good one. Yes. All right. All right. Do we have business? I don't even know when this episode is coming out. I can't keep track of our calendar anymore. It's so busy. You should see, you guys should see with all of the promos that we're doing, our Google calendar. Google. Our, our GCAL is so hard to read. <laughs> so I don't know when this is coming out. Um, so if we had business. I think the only thing is shout out to couple of our regular listeners yeah another one to renee yes and to sally yes always to sally uh yes they commented on our instagram post commented about blondie yeah so thank you and to dana for commenting as well we appreciate it oh yeah she had good she always commentary always does good commentary not about blondie but actually the case (laughs) it was good all righty well, then we'll, we can just jump in. Woohoo! Are you ready? I am because I, um, I've um i never heard of this case. Maybe I have. I don't. We'll see the further I we don't get know how it. huge it was. I knew about it because it happened near and around my hometown. Ohio. In, in Ohio. So be ready to be angry. Just saying. Okay. I need some, some warning. Like, what kind of angry? Is this, like, a political case? Is Um, it, like... No. Just, this is ridiculous? No. It's ridiculous. Okay. All right. All right. I can handle that kind of anger today. He's ick. Like, you're going to get ick. Yeah. Okay. Today, we're discussing Bobby Lee Cuts Jr. Does he cuts? No. He strangles. Okay. Well, he missed an opportunity. Well, actually, we don't know for sure. So I shouldn't say that. Allegedly, he strangles. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. He strangles. If you okay. watch Letter Kenny, you'll know. Allegedly. <laughs> That's right. Allegedly. All right. Bobby Lee Cutts Jr. was born May 21st, 1977, and grew up in Canton, Ohio, where he attended Glen Oak High School. If you watch Dance Moms, Canton, Canton is where the Candy Apples Dance Center is. <laughs> Oh, I did not. I don't watch Dance Moms. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. That's where uh, the rival of the Abby Lee Dance Company lives, Kathy. Oh, okay. (laughs) She's from Canton. Yes. All right. So that high school, Glen Oak High School, may sound familiar to some of you. It's the alma mater. Alma mater? Alma mater. Alma mater. To a few professional athletes who I, I don't know nothing about sports, so I'm not naming them. But it's actually most famous for its graduate, Mr. Brian Hugh Warner, otherwise known as Marilyn Manson. So they turn out dun, some dun, real dun. good ones yeah. from that school. Really? No, I I lived near there, so I have met a few people from Glen Oak High School that are nice people. <laughs> um, They don't all turn out like Marilyn Manson or killers. <laughs> I just can't take Manson seriously because of how tiny he is. He's interesting. So he's a wee little man. Is he? Yes, I think he's only like five two. Hold on. 
I thought he was tall. How tall is Marilyn? Oh, Marilyn Manson. That's not Marilyn Manson. I'm thinking of Charles Manson. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, this is a true crime podcast. We're talking about Charles Manson. I'm talking about Marilyn Manson. Goth. Charles Manson. (laughs) Extraordinaire and sex offender, allegedly. Charles Manson is five foot two. Yes. If he is a wee little man. Yes. I'm so sorry. Yes. When you said that, and I'm talking about Marilyn Manson. He's six foot one. I was like, really? He seemed tall to me. No, Not that I've ever seen him tall. in person, but. He is tall. All right. My apologies for the confusion. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. So now back to Bobby. The subject at hand. Bobby was on the football team at Glen Oak and rather serious about it. Despite not getting drafted or following a scholarship to college, he continued to play through semi-professional teams while simultaneously pursuing a career in law enforcement. Oh, yay. (laughs) I told you. Be ready to be mad. (laughs) I always love when uh, killers turn out to, like, have wanted to be cops. Oh, he was a cop. (laughs) Oh, great. Apparently, Bobby's career and side hustle with football wasn't enough to fill his time, though, because he was quite the ladies' man as well. First to become a father in 1997 at just 20 years old when his ex-girlfriend, Nikki Giovasis, if you know that name. I don't. Some of you may know her as a former NFL cheerleader, social media influencer, and actress. She gave birth to their daughter, Taylor Giovasis who is now also a social media influencer. Bobby's second child, Brianna, was born in 2001 to his girlfriend at the time, Kelly Schaub. He and Kelly then got married in July, just a few months after Brianna was born, but the wedding bliss was relatively short-lived. They separated in November of 2003 when Bobby suddenly faced criminal charges for allegedly, or allegedly's, allegedly's, giving his department-issued gun to his drug-dealing cousin. Now, why in the world? He was eventually acquitted of the charges, and the Canton Police Department were ordered to reinstate him with back pay, but the damage to his marriage was even more extensive. Because while separated, Bobby began an affair with Jesse Davis, and she became pregnant with his third child. Was she also an influencer? Because I feel like everybody's influencers. No, no just just his first, the first wife girlfriend, and the first baby mama, and his first daughter okay. are both influencers. Everybody else is normal people living around the Canton area. All right. Nikki and Taylor moved to California to be influencers, to pursue influencing in the influencing <laughs> world, in the influencer industry. <laughs> Yes. Despite having a son on the way with Jesse, Bobby and Kelly reconciled in September of 2004. Okay. Blake Cutts was then born in December of 2004, and Bobby not only co-parented, but he continued his affair with Jesse. Okay. I had to look up a picture of him. Okay. I now know what he looks like. Okay. Kelly and Jesse... So his wife, Kelly, and his girlfriend, Jesse, talked several times over the next two years about their relationships with Bobby. Kelly claims she would tell Jesse that she and Bobby were happily married and to leave them alone. 
Okay. Okay. Now be ready. I'm about to go on a little bit. Of, you might call it a rant. You might just consider it a PSA. All right. Do with it what you will. For me, this is a tricky situation. I in no way want to shame either of these women. But y'all, if your significant other is cheating on you, hold him or her accountable. Please. I cannot stand to hear stories about women fighting over a man. Says he's the one who owes you something, not her. Mm -hmm. But if you are the other woman, have some self-respect and walk away. (laughs) Yeah. I always look at it and I'm like, really? Over this guy? (laughs) I know. It's never anybody. What are we dealing with here? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's his fault. Yeah. He's the one married to you. Yeah. It's his responsibility to stay faithful to you. Um, But also, if you are the other woman, like, please, 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 please don't think, oh, he's just so unhappy with her. And he, if he would just leave her and then be with me, then he would be happy. I would keep him happy. First of all, in many cases, there's a reason that he or she, like I said, they're staying with their spouse. There's a reason whatever that reason may be, doesn't really matter. But even if they did leave their spouse and take up with you, Beauty and the Beast is actually not the tale as old as time. Yeah. It's not. The tale as old as time is when you cheat with somebody and they leave their other person for you. And then guess what? The grass isn't greener. They're going to start cheating on you too. Yeah. If they cheated on you or on their spouse to get with you, they're going they're to, cheat to cheat on, on you, you to get with somebody else. It's going to happen. Okay, moving on. In 2006, Jesse informed Kelly that she was pregnant again. This time, it was a girl to be named Chloe. I love that name. At some point shortly after that, I believe, based on what I was able to gather, that Bobby and Kelly separated again. It appeared that he was living on his own, Kelly's living on her own, but he didn't move in with Jesse. Okay. He's just by himself, except not. Yeah. In June of 2007, Jesse was nearly full term with Chloe. Bobby was juggling her and at least three other women and trying to reconcile with Kelly. Okay. Okay. Like, how do you have the time? That's what I never understand. I know, like, and he <laughs> works full-time as a cop and plays semi-professional football. I can't even side. answer, like, my, I can't even answer your text fast enough. Like, I know. <laughs> I, and I'm, don't, not juggling that. I don't have kids. I just have dogs. I'm just sitting there, and it takes me three hours to answer a text sometimes, because I'm like, yeah. I'm sorry, everything's just so busy. <laughs> so. On the evening of June 13th, he played softball and then headed to Champ Sports Bar for drinks with friends, including Denise Hated, who he had previously had an affair with. Who hasn't he slept with? He left Champs around 12.30 a.m. and headed to Stephanie Hawthorne's home, one of the current girlfriends at the time. Bobby then left Stephanie's about 2 a.m., and claims that he then got up for the day just a few hours later at 5.20 a.m. Do you think he ever, like, showed up to the wrong girl's house? 
oops, sorry, my Google Calendar was full and hard to read. Like, Oopsie. Whoops, Blame it on Google. At around 5.45, he says that he arrived at Jesse's home to pick up Blake, and he found Jesse on the bedroom floor. I don't think she was stretching or sleeping. Well, no. But she was still alive. Oh. Yes. He claims that when he asked if she was all right or in labor, she told him she's tired and nauseous. Oh, okay. Now, just to give you a timeline, like, she was, when I say she was nearly full term, this is the middle of June. This is, like, June 14th. She was due July, the first week in July. Okay. So she is literally, like, ready to pop. Yeah. So, that's yeah, really, that's feeling, a really uncomfortable port, like, portion yes. of pregnancy. Like, you just need to lay on the floor. I get it, girl. Yes. Being the gentleman that he was, he then asked her to get Blake ready and grew impatient when she didn't get up fast enough. Like, he admits that that's what transpired. Don't worry, Blake. Your nine-month-old pregnant mother. She'll get right on that. She'll get right on it. I'm just going to sit here. Okay, so Bobby also tells police, eventually, that he could tell she was struggling, but that he pushed her to hurry up because he wanted to get home and get more sleep. He had a very busy night of drinking and girl- you know, I don't girlfriending. Think, I don't think at nine. It <laughs> I don't think at nine months she's getting much sleep either. No, not at all. So he claims that Jesse told him that if he weren't out with friends all night, then he wouldn't be rushing her. True. Period. Bobby responded that it wasn't her concern and that if it's a problem, he could just take Blake over the weekend. He claims he tried to turn to leave, but Jesse stepped in front of him, grabbing his shirt, and when he attempted to pull away and step around her, she moved in front of him again. She supposedly told him he cannot leave because she needed him to take Blake so that she could go to work. Bobby claims that he told her he could leave as long as he could get her out of the way. And he stuck his finger up his nose and put it in her face, to which Jesse then bit his finger. Charlie, Charlie bit my finger. (laughs) (laughs) I, well, I'm just trying to process this grown man putting, I don't even want to say it again. I don't even want to say it again. Yes. He says that he then got a bit angry, of course, and said he was definitely leaving and that he didn't care if she had to go to work. But when he tried to step around her again, she grabbed him tighter and in an effort to free himself, he threw his elbow back, accidentally hitting her in the throat. (laughs) 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 I just did it. You just can't. You can't see. Yes. Bobby swears he kept walking toward the door and then heard her fall. And when he turned around, she was on the floor and unresponsive. Let me guess. She randomly had fingerprints on either side of her neck as well. And you don't know where those came from. (laughs) We'll get there. She's doing a little eye rolly like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. So he claims that he attempted CPR, but she was still unresponsive. So he got some bleach he saw nearby, poured some into the cap, and placed it under her nose to revive her. Like smelling salts? Yeah. 
I, I'm, I'll try not to laugh. We're trying like, to, we're having to this. like laugh because this is a nine month pregnant woman. Yes. That we're talking about here. Like, I don't want to diminish the value of. Uh, and I'm partially laughing because of what comes next. Oh, God. Okay. At no time did he call 911, which he claims was because he was unable to turn Jesse's cell phone on. And though he had not one, but two cell phones in his own truck. One for the bitches and one for the hoes. Probably. He didn't think about going out to his truck and getting one of those to call. Again, I will remind you, this man is a police officer. And this woman is pregnant with his daughter. Not to mention, this is also a woman that you've known and have had relationships with for a really long a time. Two years. And yeah, you should two at this point. care about her. Ironically, we're recording this on Mother's Day. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't even think about that. Yes, we are. Happy Mother's Day. This is horrible. Happy belated Mother's Day to all you listening. So, Bobby explains away all the bleach stains on her carpet and the mattress being pushed off the box spring by the chaos of him panicking, knocking over the bottle of bleach, and then falling back on the bed because he knew he'd never be able to explain what happened. He claims Blake was still asleep, so he left him there while he went to get his longtime friend from middle school, Maisha Farrell, to watch Blake, supposedly. Um, except that he also decided to take Jesse's body with him, placing her in the back of his truck. So we should clarify, she has passed away at this point. Yes. From an elbow to the throat. According to him, yes. Um... I mean, what is there to say? I'm just going to let you keep going because I don't really think that there's There's any- nothing. I mean, and it just gets It this is yeah. this is horrible and I I'm yeah. trying not to cry. Yes. So Bobby swears his intent for picking up Maisha was to take her back to Jesse's to have her watch Blake. But is how old is Blake at this point? Like 3 or 4? 2. 2. He left a 2-year-old even if the kid was asleep. Okay. I, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. Now, the only possible reasoning that I could see him saying, well, I decided to take her body because I panicked and I had, he had left his son. Why? Okay. He didn't want throw, the son. Throw all logic out of the window. You don't want your son seeing his dead mother. Okay. But he's two. You could have, like, why didn't you take your son, son and not to the, the friend to have her babysit him? And then go back and deal with that. Like, just nothing. The math ain't mathin'. Because he's not doing math. No. He's doing... So, And it's about to get weirder. Basketball. No. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. That's so dumb. Bobby swears his intent for picking up Maisha was to take her back okay. to Jesse's to have her watch Blake. But when he arrived, he simply told her that he needed her to come with him. And as he drove, he realized he would have a difficult time explaining why he moved Jesse's body. So instead of taking the exit to Jesse's house, Bobby continued north on the interstate. You know why you're going to have difficulty explaining it? Because it doesn't make sense! At 7.10 a.m., he called Jesse's cell phone, but can't explain why. 
and he then exited the interstate to stop and let Maisha use a restroom. Once back on the interstate, he panicked when they were passed by a state trooper, so he claims he decided to exit and take the back roads from where they were back to Canton. Okay. So, this is where it gets fun for me because I know all of these places. Yeah. As an Akron, Ohio native who spent much of my upbringing in the Cuyahoga Falls area where Bobby found himself, let me tell you, there's literally only one way to do what he claims he was trying to do. And if you've never been in that area, you would have no idea how to do it. And even if you did know, you would also know that the one road that you could take from the Cuyahoga Falls area, there is no one road from Cuyahoga Falls down to Canton. Mm-hmm. It would be like, let me give you a Florida equivalent. It would be like trying to take a back road from just south of Tampa to here. Yeah, you can't take a back road that way. You have to take the interstate. Yes. Except here in this case, there's one way you could have done it. He could have gone one town over from Cuyahoga Falls. He could have headed east. Okay. One town over, and there is a state route that goes from that area okay. down into Canton. You you end up traveling through eight different cities or townships to do it. But you can do it. And it is a heavily, in many areas, it's a heavily patrolled mm-hmm. road. So either way, you are going to pass cops. You are going yeah. to potentially be caught. So I say you're full of it. Mm-hmm. You did not get off the interstate to do that. Nevertheless, it's not surprising. He didn't know that one way to get from where he was to Canton. And he got lost. He drove around for about a half an hour (laughs) before stopping at one of the many parks in the area where he decided to leave Jesse's body. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I don't, I don't know what to say because this is so, this is so infuriating. I don't understand how you can, I don't understand how we got here. Yeah. I don't understand how you have your dad I'm just going to call her his girlfriend. I know they're not together, but. Oh, well, they were. I mean, they, they were, but they weren't. Yeah, they were. And, one of many girlfriends. And your your child. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how we were here. In case anybody forgot. Yeah. She's dead. Now her baby is too. Yeah. Because like the baby is, is far enough along that if he yes. had accidentally killed her and he's a police officer. And he called 911, they would have delivered, they would have the, delivered baby the baby to the baby. Yeah, the baby Correct. could have been remo- removed. C-se- there could have been a C-section yeah. done and the baby would be fine. Yes. So this is what I don't... Like, th- this well, wasn't... I think that is the answer. Right? Yeah, exactly. That is the answer because it wasn't an accident. It can't have been an accident. Well. Allegedly. Yes. Allegedly. <laughs> so... That's his version of events, okay? And he's sticking to it. I don't like it, so it's not my reality. Thank you very much. Now, Maisha Farrell's testimony of the events goes a little bit differently. She testified that she and a few girlfriends had spent the evening out 
but then went back to her house and played cards all night into the early morning hours of June 14th, when they were interrupted by Bobby showing up sometime after 6 a.m. Maisha stated that Bobby said he needed her help, and she could tell something was wrong, but didn't know what. She still got into the truck with him. I mean, they've been friends yeah, since say, middle school, so she probably didn't expect that, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I have friends that long that if they showed up and they were like, I need your help, I would drop everything and just go. Yeah. You know? And you'd be like, why is there a body? Do I need to bring a shovel? No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. So she said he did look very nervous, but after driving in silence for a bit, he told her something was wrong with the baby's mother. And she knew that he was referring to Jesse. Eventually, he told her that Jesse's body was in the back of the truck. And when she asked what happened, he gestured by raising his arm around his neck. Like a chokehold. That's all that I could get out of okay. like the court records. So I don't know if it was like a chokehold or if he was trying to gesture that he hit her with his elbow. But... Why would he put his arm around? Yeah. Okay. So it's if you're if you're thinking about the logistics of this, just do the motion. Just put your arm because she said put it put. He's she said he put his arm around his neck by raising his arm around his neck. So do that. Raise your arm around your neck. Yeah. And tell me if it looks like you're elbowing somebody <laughs> in the neck, <laughs> or if you're strangling them. Yeah. Maisha asked where Blake was, and Bobby said he was at the house, to which she assumed he meant his house. Can you say that one more time? I'm sorry. So his friend, Maisha, yeah. asked where Blake was, the son, the uh -huh. two-year-old son, and Bobby told her that, oh, he's at the house. Okay. And she assumed that Bobby meant he was at his, his house. house. So, so she, she didn't thought question why they didn't get off. Well, he never told her, oh, I'm taking you to babysit Blake. Oh. That's what he told police he was supposed to be doing with Maisha. But he never actually told her, hey, I need you to watch Blake. He just drove with her in the okay. truck. Okay. So she assumed that, okay, Blake is at Bobby's house. Maybe somebody else is with him. Well, yeah, that would be the assumption that the two-year-old is not completely by himself. She confirmed that they stopped so that she could use the restroom. That part lined up. But she says that once they were back on the road and passed a sign that read Calga Falls Parks is when he stopped. He stopped in an open field. Now, I know exactly what park they stopped okay. at. I've been there. I've hiked there. It's a oh. very popular hiking place. It's not Isn't like that creepy. These parks in the area are part of the Calgo Valley. Um, it's like a state park. Yeah. It's not, you know, a park with a playground that you yeah. take your kids to. I'm glad you clarified because that's what I thought it was. No, it's it's part of the Cuyahoga Valley area. So it's very, it's very different than here. <laughs> yeah. It's not all flat. There's, it's good hiking yeah, spots. Yeah. It's, yeah. But there is that particular park. There is an open field and then you have to like walk the trail up into where okay it's actually a hike and you start climbing the hills and stuff okay i'm into with you the woods if you will don't i will start singing <laughs> so once he stops they both exited the truck and maisha stated that she saw feet sticking out oh, of white trash bags 
and she could see a burgundy print through the bags, but she didn't look any further because she didn't want to see anything yeah. else. She said, oh, and that's enough for me. And she claimed that Bobby removed Jesse's body by himself and just walked away. And she stayed at the truck. She's probably freaking the heck out in her mind. Like, oh, yes. my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, And I oh my could, God. like, I'm not going to say this is impossible, but it is a little bit difficult for me to believe that he carried a nine-month pregnant woman. He's a big dude. In this, but in this park up where he would have had to have taken her, okay. where he leaves her. It's hard for me to believe, like, there's no way to prove it. And I'm sure that's police couldn't prove it either. But well, I wonder how much she weighed after her autopsy because if she was a small girl and nine months pregnant, he's a big dude. She was that small based on the pictures I've seen. Well, let me let me look at my professional opinion because I'm professional. (laughs) I bet he could have carried her. I bet he could have carried her. I think he probably could have because I mean, yeah. I think I think he could have done it without help. Could have. I'm not could saying have. it's likely. Yeah. But I think he probably could have. With adrenaline helping, he might I think he might have been able to. Yeah. Like I said, it's we we won't there's know. There's no way of knowing yeah. for sure. But it's I see where I see what you're saying. It could it could easily have been it would have been easier with two people for sure. Yes. But in any case, Maisha swears that she stayed at the truck. When Bobby returned to the truck, she said they drove back to Canton, but on the way, stopped at a dumpster where Bobby disposed of the trash bags, and then at a gas station where he washed the truck and purchased bags of mulch, which he placed in the bed of the truck. Maisha also recalled that Bobby left a message for Jesse asking why she had never dropped off Blake. Now, he admitted that he called Jesse's cell phone because he knew. They have that they're going to be able to figure out you were there. Yeah. Because you were supposed to pick up Blake. So, so he just swore that he didn't know why he called. But Maisha says that he left a message. Did saying, they not find her phone and check her messages? Well, we'll get to that. So you're leaving me hanging. Yeah. After he calls, he then handed Maisha a pink cell phone that she knew wasn't his. So she threw it out the truck window on the interstate. The two of them went to his house where he took a shower and afterwards he asked if she could see any marks on his chest, which she stated were, quote, vague. And she noticed that he had an injury on his pinky finger to which he told her Jesse had bit him. Bobby then gave Maisha $100 and said he wished he could give her more. But if you just elbowed her in the neck, why would you have wounds on your chest? Maisha mm-hmm. stayed at Bobby's house that day while he then went on to football practice. And apparently, she never questioned, where's Blake? She had assumed that Blake was at his house, but then they went there and Blake's not there. And Do she you- still never questioned, like, well, where's your two-year-old son? Who has him? Do you think she just didn't want to ask any more questions because she didn't want to be any more involved? Because that I could kind Maybe. of get where she's like, I'm just not going to ask because if I ask, then I have to admit that I was Maybe, a part of this. but why would you stay there? I don't And I, I get like he drove her there, but then he left. Call somebody and be like, come pick me up. 
Or call the police? Yeah, something. I don't know, something. Well, when Bobby returned, he then took her home in the afternoon. The next day, Maisha got a call from Bobby stating that his baby's mom is missing. And she thought he was crazy because he said it like he didn't know. Nothing. None of that happened. She's like, did I dream that? She went along when another one of their, quote, friends. I don't know who this person is. They're only, he's only mentioned in this moment. Okay. But this other guy comes and picks her up and drives her back to Bobby's house where Bobby coached her to tell the police she was going to babysit Blake, but Jesse never dropped him off. So was he crazy or was that all premeditated? Because he made the phone call and left the message saying, why didn't you drop him off the day before? And now he's telling you to tell, like, yes. I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Well, when that, quote, friend took her back home, he conveniently stuck around while a sheriff then showed up and asked Maisha questions. And then she returned to Bobby's until she needed to go to work for the midnight shift at Denny's. Well, yeah, that's a really important shift for a Denny's. Yeah. Like the only time to go to Denny's. Jesse Davis's mother, Patricia Porter, last talked to Jesse on June 13th around 9 p.m. During that conversation, Jesse told her that Bobby would be picking Blake up that evening when he was out at the sports bar and going to another girlfriend's house, and that he would be keeping Blake through the following day on the 14th. When Patricia could not reach Jesse the next day on the 14th, she assumed Jesse was resting and that she would just talk to her the next day. So, early the morning of the 15th, Patricia tried calling Jesse again, but still got no answer. Though, Jesse was supposed to drop Blake off at Patricia's house at their usual time of 7 a.m., so okay. she just waited, but Jesse never showed up. So Patricia and her other daughter, Audrey, went over to Jesse's house where they found the back sliding glass door unlocked. Oh. When they entered, they saw the contents of Jesse's purse dumped on the floor, and when they began calling for Jesse... Blake ran into the kitchen in a very dirty diaper. And when she asked where mommy is, Blake responded, Mommy is crying. Mommy broke the table. Mommy is in the rug. That man never went back for his son. He left his son there for a whole nother 24 hours before he was found. Patricia ran upstairs searching the home to no avail but found her bedroom mattress partially knocked off the box spring, a table and lamp knocked over, bleach stains on the floor, and the burgundy comforter missing from the bed. Patricia called 911 while Audrey, Jesse's sister, called Bobby. Police and Bobby showed up quickly, and after speaking with Patricia and Audrey, the officer spoke to Blake, who told him, Mommy is at work. Mommy's crying. Mommy's in the rug. Mommy broke the table. 
these were not answers to questions, but things Blake just kept repeating. Yeah. Finally, Blake said, Daddy's mad. And when the officer asked why Daddy's mad, Blake just kept saying, Daddy's mad. Daddy's mad. The officers asked Bobby to meet them at the station for further questioning, but many reports state that he wasn't a suspect and he actually carried on for nine days helping with the search. Oh, my God. On June 23rd of 2007, he and his attorney walked into the FBI office and informed investigators that he would take them to the location of Jesse's body. After driving around the area for nearly two hours, he was finally able to get them there. They found her 40 or 50 feet down an embankment in the Hampton Hills Park of the Cuyahoga Falls Valley Parks, which is a very popular hiking spot, like I said. Needless to say, Bobby was immediately arrested. And on August 23rd of 2007, a grand jury indicted Bobby on seven counts. One count of aggravated murder in the death of Jesse Davis one count of aggravated murder for the unlawful termination of Jesse's pregnancy, Mm -hmm. one count of aggravated murder of a viable unborn child, one count of burglary, two counts of gross abuse of a corpse, and one count of child endangering for leaving Blake alone for 24 hours. Absolutely. The trial then began on February 4th, 2007, The state showed motive by walking the jury through Bobby's financial situation, showing just how much more he would be on the hook once Chloe was born and once Kelly divorced him. They called multiple witnesses to the stand to show the timeline of events, including his girlfriends and his ex-wife, Kelly. And despite Kelly testifying to all of his infidelities, and admitting that he had not been paying child support for their daughter, Brianna, and she even paid $500 towards his car loan, she still claimed he was a good father and financially responsible for all of his children. But his first ex, yep. Nikki Giovasis, the influencer, the influencer, would probably disagree. It turned out that they were in the middle of a custody battle over their then nine-year-old daughter, Taylor. See, Nikki had moved across the country, but had always sent their daughter for arranged visitation, as well as allowed phone and email contact, until January 17th of 2007, so just about six months before all this took place. She suddenly requested a suspension of his rights, citing, quote, Evidence of physical and emotional abuse perpetrated on the child. Oh, my gosh. Taylor had stayed with Bobby for a time in April of 2006, and then from June to December of 2006. And when she returned home to her mother for Christmas of that year, she told her mother that he would often hit or threaten her, but would always then laugh it off, saying he was just kidding or messing around. It's not funny. She also stated that he had at some point told her that she would one day work as a Las Vegas stripper. She's nine. Well, she was less than nine. Yeah, she was like eight or nine at the time. 
I have I have an eight year old nephew and an, a seven year old mm-hmm. niece. I can't imagine looking at either of those children and saying something like that because they're children. Yes. The California judge that Nikki petitioned had already granted the suspension and then a case of custody was brought to Ohio Family Court. But once Bobby faced murder charges, Ohio judge David Stuckey dismissed the case, of course. Yeah, they were like, yeah, this isn't necessary. Like, he's not going to have custody of this kid. Like, Yeah. Open, shut, done. Yes. Weirdly, this is the only indication that Bobby had a temper or potential for violence, though. Supposedly. All of his girlfriends and ex-wife testified that he had never been abusive or violent in their relationships, and his work record only showed that he would sometimes go from being a great cop to being a sloppy one. Okay. Well, I, I think I have some other proof of violence, though. Jesse. <laughs> it's always a first. Um, unfortunately, there was no definitive physical evidence to go on because Jesse's body laid in the park for nine days in warm June weather, yeah, which it's... caused such bad decomposition that the medical examiner was unable to determine a cause of death. Yeah, I, it's circumstantial evidence for sure. It's he said, she said. Mm-hmm. So it just as you said, it was truly his word against like the little bit of discrepancies that Maisha testified to. It's either was it a complete accident? Yeah. Or did he strangle Jesse? So they can't get him for murder. Well, this is my my opinion. But it's difficult for me to believe that a trained cop of at least four or five years would panic to the point of making absolutely ridiculous decisions like this. But, again, playing devil's advocate, trying to look at it from both sides. When you throw in the drinking, the lack of sleep, the stress of life falling apart, who knows? I guess anything's possible. I'm not saying that. (laughs) That's fine. Like I said, I just... I'm not going to do it. I can't not do it. No. No. But... Either way, ultimately, the jury found him guilty, but on count one, which was aggravated murder of Jesse Davis, they only found him guilty of the lesser included offense of murder, not aggravated murder. Which I understand. I mean, I don't like it because I wish that it was. Obviously, I wish that it was aggravated, but that's the way that our justice system is set up. It is set up this way for a reason. Yes. So counts two through seven, they found him guilty as charged. The court then held a separate mitigation phase of the trial as the death penalty was a possibility. And at the conclusion, the jury recommended Bobby Lee Cutts Jr. be sentenced to life in prison with parole eligibility after 30 years for the two counts related to the death of Chloe, his unborn Mm -hmm. child. The judge accepted Uh, but merged the offenses for purposes of sentencing and ultimately sentenced Bobby to 57 years to life. Okay. So rather than getting parole at 30 years, he'd have to wait 57 57. years. In April of 2008, Bobby appealed to the Ohio Court of Appeals, and they said, No. No. (laughs) 
In Ooh. September of 2009, he appealed to that affirmation to the Ohio Supreme Court, to which they said, we don't want to hear you. No. <laughs> Bobby then appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they said, ain't nobody got time for that. We have to worry about taking away rights. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We are very busy. In May of 2011, he petitioned for a right of a habeas corpus. In case you're unfamiliar, this literally translated means produce the body. And no, we aren't referring to the dead body. No, that's not what it means. But we're a little <laughs> bit dramatic in the legal industry, if you haven't noticed. We like Latin and we like to be like, so your honor. <laughs> <laughs> in just, Canada I just envision if you were allowed to go to Corey showing up in a white wig yeah exactly I'm glad you got where I was moving with that in Canada they call them your worshipfulness oh wow and I die every time because my <laughs> one of my best friends works in she's yeah. a she's a court scheduler does she get to wear a wig no <laughs> she doesn't actually go to court she does court well she does but it's a and no it's different no yeah, she I, doesn't no but they have a fish in their office named his worshipfulness. <laughs> and I think it's the best. That is. Or it's insulting. I don't know. I don't know. And <laughs> I don't think it's insulting, but. Yeah. Funny, though. Okay. So the habeas corpus, it basically is a petition demanding that a valid reason be shown for that individual's detention, or rather it disputes the legal basis for their confinement. I'm going to try and break down the grounds for each of his arguments um, and then give you what the judge who reviewed it uh, recommended and ultimately the federal court's yeah. decision. So number one, first argument was insufficient evidence to support his conviction. And they said, no, <laughs> there was sufficient evidence. Yeah, there was. Yeah, definitely. Uh, number two, he claimed it was evident that the jury had been exposed to pretrial publicity. And they said no. They determined that the state court followed federal law on selecting the jury. And also... And that's the best they can do. Also, you ain't that famous. You're not that important. It was a big case, like, around that okay. area. Okay. So, I mean, it wasn't like... I don't think it was a big case nationwide, but, yeah, it was a big case in that area. And because she was pregnant, that makes there, sense. the media, of course, ran with the whole comparison to, like, uh, Lacey Peterson kind of okay. thing, even though Lacey was, it was different because this was a girlfriend and what, whatever. But they ran with it because that's sensational, right? So, number three. He argued that his Sixth Amendment rights were violated when the court failed to excuse a juror who had participated in the search for Jesse. The court did leave yeah. this open for further appeal, but denied this claim in this instance on the basis that the state court had followed federal law and Bobby failed to show that she was biased because at this point it's up to him to show that she mm -hmm. showed bias number four bobby claimed his due process rights were violated when the judge failed to instruct the jury of the lesser charge of involuntary manslaughter the federal court found that he did not follow state procedural rules 
when he neglected to make his claim in the state court. Mm-hmm. And therefore, he is barred from doing so in this petition. Yeah, you, that's not how this works. Number five. His Sixth Amendment rights were violated again when the court refused to expand the pool of possible jurors to include those who are not just registered to vote, but just have a driver's license. Because in Ohio, at least at the time, the only way you got called to jury duty is if you were registered to vote and had a legal driver's license. So he said, that's unfair. Now, the implication for that is that the jury selection was affected in the way that it ended up that his jury was an all-white jury. But the burden falls on Bobby in this petition to show that the jury was impartial. Yeah, I mean, just saying that you could have had a wider selection to choose from doesn't mean that the jury that you ended up with would have A, been any different, or B, was bad at being a jury. And while, yeah, you can question how do you end up with an all-white jury when roughly 20% of Canton's population was black at the time, but he didn't meet the burden of showing the impartiality. Um, And honestly, after all, they they gave you a lesser charge on the one count. So, I mean... He had a very fair... didn't verdict yeah it didn't sound like they were and he could have gotten the death penalty yeah and and they said no so eh. no he's just grasping at straws i i personally think that the verdict was very fair yes given everything that they had yeah same number six he said that his rights were violated when he was denied access to the grand jury testimony So the court responded that the Ohio Supreme Court had followed the federal court system adopting a, quote, particular need test for grand jury materials. Yeah, like, why do you need it? Bobby did not request a pretrial disclosure of the testimony. The state did their part by identifying all of the witnesses, and Bobby's investigator had the opportunity to speak with the witnesses before the trial. So, no. No. They say no. Number seven, he said that his rights were violated when the court allowed hearsay evidence. No. Rolling my eyes. Judge Judge Burke obviously pointed out the fact that you didn't make any objections at the time during the trial. Yeah. <laughs> so, therefore, you are procedurally barred from making the argument through these petitions. No. Number eight, his rights were supposedly violated when the court allowed, quote, irrelevant and inflammatory character evidence. Well, the federal judge found that Bobby failed to use federal law when making his, this argument in his previous appeals. He had only used an Ohio rule of evidence. So his failure to alert the state courts of this federal claim procedurally barred him from doing so in this petition because that's how the system works i have no idea this is the only way that i feel bad for him really in any way is that like it sounds like 
he either had a really crappy <laughs> appeals attorney yeah. or he's trying to do this stuff himself or something. I don't even know which don't ever do appeals work yourself. <laughs> like, no, that's it's very, just, it's very like technical and, and very intricate. Yeah, so. there's so many rules to it that. Yeah, like having to object during the trial for most yeah. of these things. Like you have to say from the beginning, like this isn't okay or we don't, we're not comfortable with it. If you don't, correct me if I'm wrong, unless you have proof that it has since come out that the item was inappropriate I or out so. of line, you would A, have to provide that proof that it has come to light after the fact. Yes. Otherwise, you can't object to it later. It I would believe- just draw out trials forever. Yeah, I believe you are correct. You are correct, sir. <laughs> okay. Uh, number nine. We're almost through this, I swear. Okay. Um, Number nine. He claimed that his rights were violated by the court failing to merge his sentences because the convictions were allied offenses. But no. Which, according to USlegal.com, I just thought their breakdown was simpler. Okay. (laughs) Are crimes with elements so similar to those of another that the commission of the one is automatically the commission of the other. Meaning he killed the mom, therefore the baby is dead. But didn't the judge merge his? No, that's why he got 57 to life instead of. Yeah, but instead of, but but he didn't get life and life. He didn't get two yes, life sentences. Yeah. You specifically said the word yes, merged. Yeah. You're right. You're right. So what You're is right. he even I'm saying? <laughs> no, it's yeah. confusing. This is why part of why I feel like, did you do this yourself? yourself? Yeah. Of course, as you just said, this is a silly argument. And he was disbarred from it because, or he was disbarred. He was. <laughs> you cannot insurance. practice law. You are not allowed to practice law, which you're not. If you did this yourself, you should not be allowed. Um. Anyway, uh, once again, in his first appeals, he had only talked about state law. He never brought the federal law, which is or argument into play. Therefore. You are doing what they call procedurally defaulting, waiving any right. Okay. Last, final thing. His rights were violated when the court failed to dismiss the capital specifications to the indictment. I did not even, I didn't even find where they addressed this at all. They were like, that's so dumb. We're not even going to talk about it. It doesn't matter. The thing with appeals is it has to have drastically changed the outcome of the trial for it to matter. Yes. None of this does. This was a circumstantial case at worst, right? Like, I I mean. No, it it was highly circumstantial because, like I said, the only physical evidence is the scene. But because she obviously was killed in a way that wasn't like. I mean, yes, there were bleach stains, so maybe there was some blood somewhere, but he also had the bite on his finger, so it, that could have been his blood, and he was just trying to get rid of any I'm, anything yeah. like that. Um, There was obviously, like, some sort of struggle in the room, but there wasn't any definitive physical evidence. But my thing is, what's bugging me the most is two things. Number one, he didn't admit, he didn't say he didn't kill her. No, he, he, he said still claims he, that it's an accident. He claims that it's an accident. You have somebody else saying that it wasn't an accident. 
why on earth would his friend of 30, you know, years or however long, not 30, but yeah, over a decade, over two decades, say it wasn't an accident if yes. she really didn't think that. Secondly, I'm going to say I don't love the phrase highly circumstantial because it, to me, that has the connotation of like, there's not a ton of evidence either direction. And we're just yeah. basing it off a story. We're not basing it off a story. He admitted to killing her. He did. He's saying it was an accident. Then his friend is True. saying that it was yeah. a murder. It's not a highly circumstantial case. It's a case of I killed this person. It's a question. It's a question of how I killed her or why yeah. I killed her. It's a question of motive. It's not a question of what ended up happening. So all of these appeals are completely fruitless to me. Yeah. You're in jail for murder. They did you the favor of not saying it was aggravated murder. I yeah. think that they did it right. Yeah. Well, he's still there. Well, yeah, good. He'll remain there until at least 57 years is up. Well, just to give you some yeah. updates. Because we all like to hear, where did everyone end up? Yeah. I don't know that this will make anybody feel any better. Oh, no. Because be I feel honest. really icky. This case is horrible. Um, and like we had to joke a lot to get through it because I genuinely thought I was going to cry or throw up. Yeah. So, uh, Patricia, Jesse's mom, mm-hmm. and has custody of Blake. Okay. I didn't write any of this in my notes, so I'm going off the top of my head. My apologies if I get a little fumbled with my words. Okay. But Patricia has forgiven Bobby. She's like 100%. Like, she wants him to get parole. She has forgiven him. She has made sure that Blake eventually, when Blake was ready, that he went and visited. Blake remembers what -hmm. happened. He wasn't asleep. He saw it. And he actually, at some point, uh, wrote Bobby a letter years ago, Mm -hmm. obviously now, saying, basically, like, I love you. You're my dad. But I'm really mad at you. Like, I'm really mad at you. I don't understand why you did what you did. Yeah. But he eventually went on to go visit him and build some sort of relationship. I have no idea about his older daughters. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that Taylor Giavasis has anything to do with him, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Brianna is in Kelly's daughter. I have no idea. Based on the testimony of Kelly in the court, I don't, um, my guess is he probably has some sort of relationship with her, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. But Patricia, like, supports Bobby. She thinks that he's changed a lot in prison. She's forgiven him. And she would like to see him get paroled. That's interesting. Yes. I mean, the only thing about it that I'm thinking about now is you said there wasn't a ton of proof of violence prior. I just don't even know. His family, friends, everybody seemed in shock Hmm. that this would happen. It's a lot. I, I mean, it's a lot to process. I can see, like, it's such a tough case. Like, yeah. So it is. I mean, I still think he did it. I don't want to say, like, I mean, I still think it was well, intentional. And I think you need to serve jail time regardless, because even if you did kill her accidentally, uh, like we said, you could have saved the baby. You could have done. Yeah. Th- you still you know, committed you're, crimes. You're still here. But. I I still think it was intentional. I'm not going to lie to you based yeah. on everything. 
I don't think that Maisha has any reason to lie about that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was premeditated or anything. Yeah, I can see what you're I saying. I don't think that there was really any evidence to indicate. Yes, he was stressed about finances and whatnot. Maybe don't go out drinking with friends. I don't know, man. Instead to save some money. But uh, or I don't know. I don't even know how to wrap this up. I, I mean, again, I just want to I want to end by saying that, like, all of our, you know, laughing to get through this and you know, yeah. creating banter and comedy to to talk about it is in no means ever, ever, ever meant to be disrespectful towards the victims. And if it like it's just this is hard. Yeah. But it's Sorry. I'm always so good at picking. <laughs> it's <laughs> OK. We have cases. a good balance. We have a good balance. But I. It's a good case to talk about. It's an interesting case, um, especially the merging of the sentences. It's a good case for us to cover on burden of proof because of the way that we do yeah. true crime. And you love circumstantial cases, so this is your do. jam. I do. If you made it all the way to the end, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you had to listen to um, that. But and, thank you. <laughs> but thanks. We love you. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll see you with something a little lighter next week. I don't know what's coming next, but fingers crossed it's not Mommy's in the Rug. So I, I, that's yeah. that's the that's the one that did me in. Yeah, I know. I was proud of myself. I got through you it. You did. And then I looked up at you and I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah, we had to take a second there. But. It's the f- first out of like the last three mm-hmm. episodes I've recorded that I made it through and I wasn't going to cry. And then you started Sorry. tearing up. Thanks. No, You're welcome. I'm just kidding. Anyway. Happy well, Mother's Day. <laughs> happy Mother's Day. Yeah. I I don't ever promise that we'll try and find things lighter because well, I'm yeah. never making that. Pro- that's Savannah. I She'll love. find. I will. Funny cases or lighter things. I don't know. I just find things and go, oh, that's good. Like in this case, I forgot about it. I knew about it from when I lived in Ohio. No, it's a great case. And it stood out to me because like my oldest child was born in 2007 yeah and this happened just months after she was born i was like oh i don't want to hear about that i just had a baby you know like it was very sensitive i was a brand new mom but also it fascinated me like how does somebody who's a police officer claim that they freaked out and did all these things and i know i'm not gonna say that can't happen but we all know police officers are trained to handle super stressful situations and i know maybe a little different when it's your personal business yeah. but it's just really like you know the law you know what was going to happen mm. like you what sir i don't know but i hope he has changed and and has like i don't know how to feel found some kind of redemption mm. I, I i'm just saying i hope am i skeptical yes. maybe a little bit but We'll talk about vampires or something next week. I don't know. <laughs> we love a good vampire case. We've done a lot of vampire cases. There's so many. There are so many delusional vampires. I'm obsessed <laughs> with it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you made it. We made it. We survived. Good job. <laughs> good Thumbs listening, up. everybody. Thumbs up. Thanks. And we will talk to you next week. Till next time. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.